0: Steve, this is the Veterinary Career Success Show. So a good start point to our conversation, I think, is just, why don't you give us a little backstory? Because you, you have had an interesting and varied career, which is part of the reason why I want to have you on the show. Uh, so you, you have been and are a veterinarian. Uh, you have been a business owner. You have been a coach to me and many others. And you are now, alongside being a veterinarian, a farmer. uh, But not perhaps what people think. So in your own words,
1: Steve, give us your story. Well, I'll do the farmer bit real quick and then go to the beginning. So I have been a horse farmer for 35 years we have a riding center and we cut hay and we have horses and so on but now uh we're a flower i'm a flower farmer my wife who's a veterinarian she is mrs botany and we are going to grow this year oh probably an excess of 200 species of flowers we're going to probably have several hundred thousand flowers and we have tourists come to walk and skip and sing through the fields and cut bouquets of flowers and of course you've been there dave so you know you know what we do the farm is incredible
0: steve and it was a real pleasure to to visit you and dan and and the girls um and your menagerie of of animals in the <laughs> house and uh veritable um you know pr- proper proper wildlife extravaganza including Chasing wild turkeys around the farm in in the snow time, but you know I haven't seen it in full bloom, and and that is a sadness for me because the photos I see of Instagram, and if you've not seen them, guys, check out Lachlan Botanicals on Instagram, are just mind blowing. Like I I I require a photo shoot there um, next time, next time I can get on a plane. Just so you know, I'm I'm going to drop in, <laughs> probably unannounced. It'd be
1: so. It'd be so good. Um, I, I'm. I'm think. I'm going to name that guest room that you're in the, uh, <laughs> the, the nickels like <laughs> the, the nickel suite, the nickel, the nickel suite. What an honor! Yeah.
0: Now, how the How the heck did you end up a flower farmer?
1: Well, we have this 93 acre farm, and uh, we do the horse thing, and uh, I mean, we love flowers. We love people. And uh, a neighbor had a lavender farm, and he was drawing a lot of people into the neighborhood. And we thought, well, we'd do something different, but similar. And uh, with the idea that we would slowly transition, you know, into part-time veterinarians, because we're in our 60s now, and, and then probably into I would just be a consultant for veterinarians. I'd no longer be a clinician. So I'd be a a clinician, coach, mentor, speaker, flower farmer. So yeah, so we're transitioning quite nicely. Talk us back through
0: your career because you've wound up in veterinary medicine. I think you're kind of a in some ways a bit of a, a poster child for early success, driving hard, getting after it, big dreams. At a time that it was you know, we think about life being a bit hard just now from a, you know, COVID and and many other inconveniences we have in our life just now. But you cast out into the world of business at a time when it was a very kind of scary, uncertain landscape to sort of do that on, which I am always in awe of the price of borrowing money back when you set out. was kind of crazy, but it was when you started to do it that's, Kind of mind-boggling. So talk us through your early years in veterinary medicine.
1: Sure, yeah. Um, I'm married to my classmate. We've been together almost 40 years, uh, um, uh, including the time before we got married. And uh, so in the last year of veterinary school, we started looking for jobs, and and uh, we were in love, and there weren't very many jobs. Um, uh, the best we were going to get, I think was uh, uh, we're in the province of Ontario in Canada. which is quite a large province. We were going to be like seven hours apart if we got these jobs and uh, we we're just interviewing for them and they paid miserably. They paid $17,000, which like in today's money is 25 cents. It was just horrible. and, and uh, um, and then I saw this ad for a job in Nova Scotia in Halifax on the East Coast. And uh, I spoke to – see, my father is from the East Coast, so I have relatives there. So I have an appeal to go there. And I interviewed with this man, and it turns out uh, he had seven clinics. So he was quite an entrepreneur. He was 30 years older than I was. And he became one of my most uh, influential mentors. But anyway, I got a job with him, and I talked him into hiring Diane as well. So we were 24 years old because you did not have to have a bachelor degree to get into veterinary school. So we, we, we were graduated with our DVM, and we were 24 years old, total babes, and we left the nest and we went to Halifax. What was interesting about Halifax, Dave, is this gentleman, Dr. Ainsley, Ross Ainsley. I love the man. He's, he's passed. If he was alive now, he'd be 95. He was a 1952 graduate. He taught me so much. He paid production commission, which was, he was one of the first people in North America to do it. And I just had this idea, Dave, that, uh, that I had a fire in my belly and, uh, And my woman by my side. And, well, didn't we start making $100,000 a year as a couple? We were living in a $300 a month apartment in the bottom of a clinic, basically rolling in money. I didn't even know what to do with it. Every Saturday night we'd go out and just go to the fanciest restaurant and eat desserts. I learned all these foods that were just being invented at the time, like cheesecake. And Caesar salad, they were new in the early 80s. But yeah, so so what happened is uh, we had our student loans paid off in like four months. And uh, we bought a horse farm 18 months after graduation. And I used that to leverage my first clinic that I bought from Dr. Ainsley. And then in rapid succession, I borrowed money. Remember, this is 1980s at 20%. So by the yeah, time I was twenty,
0: terrifying.
1: I don't know. It was by the time I was twenty-seven. I had three clinics. So you bought them all from Doctor. Ainsley or did you acquire? No, I bought. I bought one from him, and then I created one from scratch, and then I, a third one I took over from some other veterinarians. Now, can I hit
0: pause for a second? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm curious. You you refer to him, in, you know, with great affection. Oh yeah. Uh, What made him such a good mentor? A lot of people are interested in this question, but for you, what made Dr. Ainsley such a good mentor to you?
1: Well, that's that's a good question. There's a number of things. The one thing that I want to be clear about is uh, back in the day, we worked stupid hours. You know, this this is the 50, 60 hour a week thing. And I do not recommend it it's probably contributed to my burnout later but dr ainsley was a wonderful role model for working hard and and getting ahead he had a really good sense of humor he was a good businessman and he would have your back he never threw you under the bus so as a young veterinarian well, here's, here's a tip, young veterinarians. Uh, so I told you that Dr. Ainsley had seven clinics and he worked very hard. So initially when I was working for him on production, I would take every shift they would give me. So I was working 12 out of 14 days and uh, three nights a week and every Saturday because I was being paid. The more I worked, the more I made. And I'd go to all these different hospitals, Dave, and you'd always meet these older people. Cause I was young, I was 24, you know, with a face like a young John Lennon or something, you know, like you, you know me, what I look like and what I weigh now, you know, I was very thin and, uh, little, sh- little shirt and tie and a mullet. And, uh, and, and all these people would say, you know, uh, well, Dr. Ainsley did this and Dr. Ainsley did that. So I figured out how to uh, enfranchise people to trust me using Dr. Ainsley as my crutch. Because I did phone him all the time asking for advice early on and I would yeah. talk to him about cases. So these people that I'd look at their, you know, the medical records were on recipe cards back then. There's no computers. Yep. And I would look and I'd see nobody but Dr. Ainsley would, would, had seen them. And I, I, I would take the offensive and I'd greet them. And I'm always very nice. I, I, I quite like people. I would always decide I would find something I would like about these people. And I would like them, and I would start talking to them, and I would say, I can see, you know, that Dr. Ainsley has seen Sammy quite a number of times. And then I would tell them, everything I would tell them was true, but it was to build their faith in me. I'd say, I love Dr. Ainsley. I get to work with Dr. Ainsley on many occasions. Dr. Ainsley and I discuss cases all the time. You know, and then in the case of this dog, when I'm treating the ears, I'm going to treat Sammy's ears just the same way Dr. Ainsley does. (laughs) I know it sounds ridiculous, guys, but when you're a young vet, you have this huge prejudice. It's just human nature. You're young and you're being compared to old doctor. So with what I've just said, take what I said, take what you like, throw away what you don't like, and make it your own. You have to get people on your side in order to treat their pet. Right?
0: 100%. Makes sense, Dr. It, Dave? It certainly does. Now, I heard also, in, as you were speaking, three things there uh, that came out to me as being a good mentor. The first one was being available. You asked mm-hmm. him a lot of questions, so he was clearly available for you. The second thing yeah. is be good, good enough to know the answers to the questions.
1: Yeah, and he was a good surgeon. For example, very good surgeon.
0: Right, and then the third thing is that he had your back. You know, so th- there's three yeah. important things that people could take away to when you're looking for a mentor. You know, somebody that's yeah. good, somebody that is available, and somebody that has your back when when things don't work out. So, so that's useful in of itself. All right, so you've got these clinics, you've got this debt. It's twenty percent, but you're you know you're making money. Everything's good. You mentioned burnout,
1: so talk us through
0: what happens next.
1: Well, if I could go back to the 20% for a moment, Dave, Mm. um, and, and then I am going to go to the burnout. So the, with the 20%, um, uh, what I learned is that I didn't know as much about management as I thought I did. In fact, I knew bloody little. And uh so there were some periods of time where we ran out of money. One particular winter we ran out of heating oil and we couldn't buy any. So I had to either, I had to stay warm between my clinic, my car w- with Diane and sitting in front of the fireplace or going to bed or having a shower. That was about a month. Mm. Of, so, so I learned an awful lot about management. I made a lot of mistakes. I invented mistakes that have never before been known and never bef- never since been repeated. But, um, all those things did I add to that. my stress. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So yeah. the stress, the stress started to, uh, build. But you know, I had a family. So. Uh, about three years having after having all the clinics, uh, we had a family, uh, two amazing girls, uh, two years apart, kind of thing. And so I raised my family, and um, I sold one clinic, and I merged two into quite a quite a good clinic, you know, like a four thousand square foot, fifteen employee, quite good clinic at the time. But that wasn't good enough for me, Dave. I had to have one of the best clinics in Canada. So I embarked on uh, building a 15,000-square-foot, $3 million behemoth. And uh, I think that broke me doing it. Turned into a great clinic. But, uh, you know, it's a a story for another day how that happened. But, yeah, so I I burned out. uh, shortly after we built that practice, I am from Ontario. That's where my family is all from. And I But I moved away to Nova Scotia for 25 years. Well, part of the burnout, I think, was we decided to sell our interest. We had a half interest in this behemoth and moved back to where our family was in Ontario. And then really the wheels just fell off the cart. For about, uh, I don't know. Oh, probably about six years. Um, lots of, yep. Well, it turns out. Okay, here's another tip, everybody. One out of five people have mental illness. So essentially, if you're yep. human, or if you know a human, mental illness will touch your life. So for me, um, I was diagnosed with a bipolar type 2. But the tip I want to give you guys is this one. I saw about four different shrinks, and uh, I'm self-insured. So essentially, I would pay $100 and sit and talk to people. I, I didn't have a plan or whatever. And I spent thousands talking to people who did not do much for me. Even though now that I know about bipolar, I was giving them all the symptoms. Like, essentially, I'm either really, I was either super happy or wanted to stay in bed. It's not complicated. And fortu- fortunately, Dave, my doctor, set up a, a Zoom appointment with an excellent psychiatrist. And she diagnosed me uh, about five years ago. And uh, so I take lithium. And uh, with bipolar, folks, you're either really high or really low. And the aim of lithium is to, is to keep that sine wave amplitude low. Mm-hmm. And we just about got it right. Uh, Dave knows me well. Currently, I'm, I'm fairly good energy. I, but when I'm down, um, most people don't know unless they know me really well. So I put on a good show. But, yeah, I totally burned out. And, and and for sure, for sure, it was all the cumulative hours. I worked way too hard. I took on way too many projects. And, um, you know, Dave, uh, when I built that hospital, I was the general contractor. So uh, for those that are listening, I, I put on a heart like as I, I actually have these skills – I put on a hard hat and work boots and went on the site every day and managed the carpenters and the plumbers and all these things. I saved myself a million dollars, but I broke my mind doing it. So it wasn't worth it. it. was not worth it. You know, and this is not a sad story. I don't want anybody to feel sorry for me. It's a good story. I'm the hero of the story. So I'm, I'm my favorite person, right? <laughs>
0: Yeah, Any I'm story that's about me is of high
1: interest to me. But my point <sighs> is <laughs> my point is um you got to take care of yourselves folks. That's what I'm committing myself to. I've studied mindfulness and positive psychology. Essentially I saved myself and I'm not a not too bad a little teacher. I like to teach how to use some of these tools so that we can manage stress. We all know about the suicide rate uh, it's way too high. Uh, you know, what can we do?
0: All right. So Steve, um, I want to, there's a couple of questions I want to ask. One is, one is how, how far back do you f- think it, you were first aware? Have you reflected on when you first think, yeah, there was, I knew there was something not quite right with me then. And, and what, what did, what was it that you noticed to start with? So that's, Question one, and then I would actually like to move into just a little bit more of a conversation about suicide because I I, want to relay a story of when we first met. Um, Yeah. Kind of a poignant moment. Yes, yeah, it was
1: very poignant for both of us. Mm. So, yeah, so Dave, um, I think I was in my 40s because when I was in my 40s, I was doing a lot. Like, I was on the Canadian Veterinary Medical Association National Council. I, I chaired some committees. Uh, I chaired a business committee. I, I was on an animal welfare committee. I was on a subcommittee for uh, vaccinations when they're first learning about uh, uh, some of the issues with over vaccination. Uh, I helped run a medical conference. Uh, yeah, I, I started an emergency hospital. And it's always better, uh, people, to work with your colleagues. I started an emergency hospital and created equal shares for every clinic in town and made it so that we all work together. But you do all these projects, and they mess you up. So what I started mm-hmm. noticing, Dave, is I'd get bummed out and for mm-hmm. anybody who knows depression well what happens is you become as dumb as a brick i couldn't think i couldn't think like when i'm happy sometimes my mind it feels like beautiful mind i can actually see things moving around i can put things in place i can think three dimensionally i can solve puzzles real quick but yeah i'd i'd have episodes being stupid so stupid you know um i was i was wanting to uh my practice had plateaued. I remember really well, my, my practice had kind of plateaued and I was doing all this management and study groups. And I remember talking to a speaker from, uh, from upstate New York and and I was talking to him, I was saying, well, you know, we've done this. We're tracking our active client numbers, right? We're, we're, you know, we've got this protocol for phone backs. We, we're doing this with postcards. This is before email. We're doing this, and I just don't understand. And I now know that what happened is basically I was so depressed that I was negative, and negativity begats lack of productivity. Does that make sense? It does.
0: I want to write that one down. Negativity begets
1: loss of productivity. I like that. Can I give you the corollary of that? It's real fast. Yeah. There was was a study, Dave, uh, Case Western Reserve University, David Cooper Ryder. And what they did is they studied the transcripts and videos from – business meetings of, um, of uh, 60 different companies and the researchers would allocate whether the words and the tones of voice were positive or negative. And when the words were positive and the tones of voice were positive, these companies like had like 20% more profit. Mm -hmm. So in other words, there's no place for cynicism and sarcasm in a business meeting it actually costs you money and it costs you mental health too
0: and that that feels there's there's something very analogous about that study and what we see in the the tribe of mentors you choose to hang with and and the influence they have in your life which which does lead me nicely to that moment where you know you and i first met i think it's may 2015 yep in washington in Washington, in the National Harbor, Yep. Uh, we're both both speaking. Uh, what was probably one of the last CVCS before it became Fetch. We went out, met you, yeah, you know, enjoyed what you were you know you were saying and talking on, and we went out for drinks, and there was five of us sat around the table, and you know um, I will leave names out but they're all very important people to me uh, at, at different phases in their career they're all people i thought wow there's such a great energy around this table and th- every time i went to that conference particularly in dc i met people that ended up having a very big influence in my life and you're one of those people well everyone at that table i thought was going to be one of those people and then at the next conference uh which was in the August, I think we're all there again, except one of us isn't there. And yeah. I thought, hmm, that's interesting. we what happened there. And then in, in San Diego, uh, I learned that one of those people had committed suicide. Um, yeah. it was so under the radar and it was so much like a gut punch cause I, I hadn't gotten to know this person, but the time I'd spent with this person, I knew instinctively that this person was going to be a great friend. And and so we stayed in touch and f- for a little and then it kind of went cold. But that often happens when you're jumping between conferences and you don't pick up again. And it was just a kind of gut punch. And it's for anybody that's been in veterinary medicine for any length of time that you you don't get used to it, but you become, you know, it's almost you're not surprised at times, except you are because you never see the ones coming. That first meeting was, uh, you know, it's poignant to think back on it because of the the loss around there. But I didn't know uh, quite what you were dealing with. Um, and I remember we were stood on the roof of the San Diego Convention Center and I remember us, we stood for hours just chatting away and watching that sunset over the Aircraft carriers and, and just setting the worlds to rights and just having the most beautiful conversation. And it's almost like time stood still and we're, and we talked about uh, a lot of things. And then there was one moment I remember you saying that you've, you fought the Balrock that night. I was talking about some of the challenges I had, clouds on the horizon. Um, and you, 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 I remember you saying it. You said, I fought the rock that night and you'd had, you know, you were speaking. Why don't you tell us that story there? Because you literally shared this story in its graphic nature with me a week ago. I had no idea this is what you meant. Um,
1: well, can you tell uh, folks what the Balrog is?
0: So the Balrog, yeah. sorry, is, yeah. So the um, if you're into Lord of the Rings, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you're not, then basically it is a giant demon of the underworld, this fiery, ethereal, but terrifying demon demonic force that comes out from the uh, minds of moria and gandalf one of the heroes protagonists fights and they tumble battling in this huge life or death duel into the pits of the the world where gandalf finally triumphs but it's a terrifying monster that's basically your living nightmare um before you um that confronts gandalf
1: yeah it's um Yeah, and uh, so who's ever listening, uh, Dave and I are total nerds. And and (laughs) I think a lot of veterinarians are. We just love the Lord of the Rings. So Gandalf, the wizard, was the gray wizard and uh, he did defeat the Balrog down in the depths of hell, essentially. And He was reborn, and he became Gandalf the White. And as Gandalf the White, he was even more powerful. The story is, uh, uh, this is early on. uh, So what I don't remember is if I was on lithium or not. But I certainly was having episodes of highs and lows. And uh, when you and I were in uh, uh, in Washington in May, uh, I felt like a million bucks. And I, I gladly agreed to speak in December in San Diego. But unfortunately, I was in a low. Now, my wife came with me. And uh, we were staying, I think, at a Hilton. It was a nice hotel. And I had yet to speak. I was in my room. I was really nervous about this talk. I had already spoken, um, uh, I don't know. I probably spoke on this topic 10 or 15, 20 times now. I'd spoke at a bunch of vet schools and, uh, yeah, I spoke at NABC and VMX and a bunch of other ones. So I wasn't a rookie, but, um, but I was petrified. So we're getting ready to go give this talk. And we're up in our hotel room. We're, I think we're on the 11th floor. And uh, Diane was in the bathroom getting, uh, she doesn't even know this. She didn't know. I even, still haven't told her this. Diane was getting her going to get her hair done. And I was just petrified. And uh, one of the aspects of mindfulness uh, uh, is learning to breathe and, and learning to modify your breath. But, I mean, I was just panicking. I was just panicking, and uh, uh, I thought, okay, well, I'll go get some fresh air. And so I went to the edge of the balcony. I had this, like, panoramic view of San Diego Harbor. It's gorgeous. Arizona battleship is there. What happened is I started getting voices in my head, like like a demon or something. So I heard this... (laughs) Jump, 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 jump! And I was just like fighting for my life. I was holding the balcony, and I was just shitting myself. And uh, and uh, back to another Lord in the Ring image, where Pippin is all—he almost loses his mind to the orbs. Uh, uh, they're they're in a room in a, in Isengard, and Gandalf saves him. That's what happened. Basically, I was holding onto this railing, and like electricity was just shooting through my body, and I like was telling me to throw myself off the balcony because then I wouldn't have to give the goddamn talk, and maybe that you know maybe that would save people from having to listen to it. But I did manage to let go of that balcony, push myself back into the room, and I just sat in the bed and I just started breathing. I just breathing for my life, just. <sighs> and and uh, what I learned from that experience was uh, that it's pure mindfulness. If you actually feel your breath, like which I sure did, <sighs> and you feel it, you, you can't think while you're shooting breath up your nostrils. You think of it. And so it's basically I rescued myself. And, uh, yeah, and Diane and I went down to the – did the talk. It was pretty good. I won't say I hit it out of the park, but I was congratulated afterwards. And then I think you and I went out for dinner with some other folks. And I laughed and I giggled and whatnot like it never happened. But it did. But it did happen
0: just had no idea i mean even as you're describing that there you know i'm i'm getting goosebumps but not in a good way just in a you're like holy shit because this this is the day after that like we was, we were watching the sunsets right at the end of the conference and you know you confided in me that you fought the battle rock the night before and i had no idea that's what you meant um and so, I first of all, actually, I just want to thank you for your courage in sharing your struggles and also in sharing that, that story particularly because, you know, I've said to people before, you know, I've done a lot of interviews and a lot of podcasts now and the, the slightly macabre side of me, if I could choose to do interviews, it would be to, ask the questions of those that aren't with us anymore, you know, what happened? How, how did it get to this? Not, not, but not for the sake of being macabre, but to learn, to, to tell that story and to help. Um, but it's a story that never gets told. And, and, you know, you just told the story of what happens, but you also found a way this rescue. And so this is really where I'd like to get to in our, conversation is you know you have been certainly to me somebody that's taught me much more about the value of mindfulness um, and contemplation um you're a trained coach you've done multiple mindfulness retreats um i'm cu- I'm curious to know what ways you know what is maintenance and what does rescue look like and, and how do we use this? I know that's a massive topic to ask yeah. you to give a, a very short answer on, but but
1: well, what can we take away from this? Okay. Um, well, let's go back just a tiny bit. What I wanted to say is it is evidence-based for sure. There, um, Five years ago, six years ago when I first started speaking there was 1300 uh evidence based papers about the different benefits of mindfulness and i'm sure that that that's probably grown a hundredfold so it's evidence based dave that when you breathe and when you feel your breath certain things happen you know you can reduce stress you can reduce anxiety you can regulate your heart rate you can improve your mental clarity yada, yada, yada. There's dozens of benefits. So my theory is, now this is not a, a proven, but my theory is that mindfulness prevented suicide. Now we don't have evidence-based, right? We don't have a hundred guys that are all going to jump over the balcony and 50 of them, you make them breathe and see who jumps. We don't know that. I, so I'm I'm like N equals one. But I'm pretty damn sure. But I do know that we can teach people to breathe to handle stress and anxiety. Uh, But I'm going to answer your your question, I think, simply, which will open the door for future talks. There's a psychologist called Abraham Maslow, Mm -hmm. M-A-S-L-O-W. I I know you know him, Dave, and he has the hierarchy of needs. And so, folks, if we think of a pyramid with a point at the top, and the base widest at the bottom, you start adding words and you go towards the top. And you start with what you need to live, like oxygen, water, food, and you keep climbing shelter, safety, companionship, da-da-da-da-da, and right up at the top, it's self-actualization, you know, where you can meditate and so on. I'm suggesting that we can rescue ourselves by giving ourselves what we deprive ourselves of, which is the basics of life. We deprive ourselves of oxygen by holding our breath and getting anxiety. We work without eating. We don't hydrate. We don't move our bodies. So very, very simply, there's a half a dozen little exercises I can teach folks. Um, You're about to go into the exam room and you're scared to death because Mrs. Jones is a monster you take a few breaths, you sip your water bottle, you take a couple of raisins, you stretch your arm, you smile, you think kind thoughts, and you go in. But each each one of those little things requires some teaching and expansion of. But there's lots of ways to rescue yourself. You know, my father taught me, Dave, that... Every time you're feeling sorry for yourself, go help somebody.
0: Right, there's another quote. You're just throwing them out. You know, that's gold. To so fill well, somebody else's bucket to
1: fill your own, right? Yeah. Well, when we're veterinarians, we are helping people. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it, but for the most part if you know if we adhere to our oath, we are helping now you helping is a kindness now layer that into trying to truly understand the other people learn this you know this is what young people can can do is they can learn the skills of communication they can learn emotional intelligence they can learn principles of like there, are, there's, there's all kinds of things. There's neuro linguistic programming. There's, there's ways to speak to bring people on your side. You know, broadcasters and people in commercials do that all the time. Now listen, Dave Nichol, I'm about to tell you something that you are going to absolutely love. So what are you going to, what do you do? I'm going to hate it. No, you start thinking, oh, what am I going to love about it? There's, there's so many tricks in communication, so many. So what I do is I, I find ways to love people, to, make, to be kind to them, and to use the words that are going to make them feel right. I'm going to speak differently um, to a big rugby player covered in tattoos than I am to a 70-year-old woman. But I know how to speak to each of them, and to make them feel important and good. It's just—it's just a kindness. I'm just going to show them a kindness. So lots of topics. So we're going to have—we're
0: going to go a little deeper in this, uh, you and I. You're going to be doing a wee session, uh, one yep. of our rock star sessions within the VEDEX community.
1: Um, That'll be—I'm looking forward. That's going to be amazing.
0: It will, and. Yeah, some of you right now will be listening to this and it'll be after the point at which we've done it which is boohoo for you (laughs) 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 look us up uh but if you are this this episode is going to be going out um this week and right now it's it's the start of the third week in march so if you have the chance to tune in um the way you're going to do that is to be a member of the veterinary career success group on Facebook, minimally. Uh, if you're with, within one of the vertex communities, then that will form one of our regular rockstar sessions. But this this topic's too important just to stay within the heart, the core of the community. So we're going to be putting that into veterinary career success and opening that up to you guys as a sort of one-off um I'm going to call it a gift, Steve, because I think I think your teachings are a gift and there's so much more like you're not going to learn everything there is to learn from Steve Noonan in a one hour session or, a you know, a 40 minute podcast. But if you're smart, then you might make that the first step of many on a journey because uh, this man's got a lot to teach us. Um, Steve, it's been a a great play. Like we don't have a lot of time just now, yeah. but. First thing I want to say is thank you for being a mentor, uh, an inspiration, a friend, and most of all, just for being you and being here. Uh, uh, because wow. there's, you know what, there's others who've been in your shoes who aren't, and who uh, we all know them and and we all miss them. You, whoever you are right now, you have your version of that. So I, for one, am incredibly fucking grateful. you are still on this planet sir and 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 i salute you for your um you know your courage in telling that story um you know it's going to take a little while for me to digest that properly but it it means a lot to me that you were willing to share that and it means a lot to me because i know there's a lot of people that will benefit from that um and and you know there's just thank you
1: well, you, look, Dave, you're absolutely welcome. Um, I, I guess I want to make a really quick point again, um, but I think it's an important one. I, I've been carrying this in my head for six years or whatever, mm. and I started thinking about how I would articulate it, which, which you heard. And so a couple of times I practiced uh, how I would articulate it, and I would do it when I'm shaving or having a shower or whatever. I, I break down sobbing. just mm-hmm. sob and sob and sob. Now, that I'm past that now, or you would have heard me sob today. Mm-hmm. And the point I want to make is we all have stuff bottled up inside us, and it's just tearing you apart inside. You've got to find somebody to talk to about it. And, and if you cry, you cry. Get it out. Get yourself feeling better.
0: I could not endorse what you've just said more. Um, you know, y- you know your your version is a harrowing extreme, but none of us escapes life without dings and dents of one form or another. Uh, and I just I couldn't I couldn't applaud what you just said more. You know, get help. And I'll, you know, I I have seen coaches, I've seen counselors for the tough stuff that i've had to deal with and i'm not saying that to try and steal any of the moment from you here but just to add my voice uh to that you know i'm very happy to share um the things i do to look after my mental health because it's just like going to the gym isn't it Steve? Like, yeah we happily talk about going to the gym and us lifting how much did you lift today Ooh, i benched this and And it's all macho and okay to talk about that, but it seems like it's not okay to talk about some of the stuff that's just as heavy as lifting at 200 pounds. Not that I ever lifted that on a bench, but you can be, your brain can be lifting and bearing, not lifting, but bearing or struggling under the weight that seems a lot bigger than that. And counseling, I can tell you why it works, but. Getting it off your mind with somebody that can help you is huge. But Steve, the other thing you said in that interview was, you know, you saw counselors, but you 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 also had an undiagnosed condition that is, is very commonly associated with suicidal ideation.
1: Yeah, if I if I would interject, um, I paid out of pocket to my guys and, you know, you go to someone because, uh, they have a shingle and you think they know what they're doing. Mm. And if I was a negative cynical person and I am not, those folks continued to let me talk when clearly they either did not have the skills or they just wanted to, you know, continue to keep me coming. And, uh, so, and the reason I'm saying that, folks, is not to be negative or snotty or anything. But if you don't like the man or woman that you that you just just leave them. You have no obligation to them, right? This is your life. Find a man or woman that you can talk to and really trust. And you'll know you when you trust people. You'll know you get that little tingle, that little tickle or whatever in your heart when you're telling people something. And you get a response for them that that lets you know they really see you, as opposed to you know you know the stereotypical joke psychiatrist who's just yeah yeah hmm stroke their beard and how do you feel about that they're not even listening to you you know they're watching mm-hmm. you know they're 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 doing a video game behind your back so make sure you get somebody you trust. And that you you know that they hear you. That's a great point,
0: um, okay. Steve. Thank you. All right, so much for your uh, input. Again, uh, it's always a pleasure speaking to you, sir. And um, yeah, thank you for sharing that. And oh, I look forward great. to doing our session next week.
1: Yeah, me too. All right, looking forward, Dave. Uh, had a great great day with your. Uh, uh, your assistant, Alfred, today. Um, and uh, you've got a super organization, Dave. Vetex is, uh, I'm so proud of what you've done. So proud of what you've done. Uh, you're like the hardest working man in veterinary uh, communications that I know. So just keep up the good work.
0: Well, that's very kind of you, Steve. Glad you're part of it.
1: All right. Have a good night. S- sleep well, my prince.
0: that is from hamlet folks fight any i know may you not yeah i know it's not just it's not just pillow talk (laughs) yeah
1: all right good night
0: take care steve okay bye-bye